Welcome to the Fram Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. Check out our website at www.franparkcenter.org. Today, Dr. Mike Hegeman is leading a discussion on READ, Race, Education, Awareness, and Dialogue. Join us for our series, which will be going on all year. Welcome. Thank you, Kelly. We are so glad that you have joined us for another episode of our podcast in our READ program, which is the Race, Education, Awareness Dialogue program. And today we are diving into the world of a book called American Dirt, and our conversation partner is Susan Bacon. So uh, Susan is a member of Pinnacle Congregation and one of our elders on session and a key partner in these discussions. So Susan, I would like you just to tell us a little bit more about this book and its author just to get us started. Well, the author is Jeannie Cummins, and she was born in Spain and her father was a member of the U.S. Navy. Her mother was a nurse and she majored in English and communications and worked in the publishing industry for 10 years. And when she wrote this book, she didn't know the buzz it would cause. And the first buzz was a three-day bidding war. People read this book and went, oh my goodness, we want it. And the book was heavily marketed and it had so many positive reviews. But that's only half the story. Right, and we, as we as we go along, we'll just kind of leave people in suspense just for a second to talk about you know what happened when this book was about to hit the shelves. But what drew you to this book? It was not the book I chose. I chose the Nickel Boys because it actually made me cry. But one of the people involved in this offered to change books, and I thought, oh no, I read this book too. This book is too good to leave on the shelf. We have to have a conversation about this because it takes us on an interesting, different path. So I called another person involved in this and said, would you do my book so I could do Mary's book? Because this is a book that makes us think about what's happening in the world at this moment. So many people's lives are affected by the situation here in the U.S., but being a border state, in Arizona, here we are, but being a border state, we are affected by the lives of the movement of people. And that's maybe the simplest way to talk about you know, the shape of this novel, is about the movement of people. So let's go right back to that question of the controversy of this book. Well, first, Oprah loved it. And so she made it her 83rd Oprah book choice. And as soon as she did this, one week before the launch of the book, there were many, many, many critical reviews. And the author was accused of exploitation and inaccuracy of her uh, portrayal of Mexicans and the migrant experience. And Oprah went, ah! So I really want to do it. And then she had the courage to push forward. But the buzz was so negative. Hashtags appeared that the publisher thought we can't do a book tour. And she canceled the book tour. And the controversy was used to highlight the lack of diversity in the publishing industry. Right, because we had a non, what we thought of as a non-Hispanic author writing about the lives of 
Hispanic people, in this case, Mexican people. So has the author responded to those criticisms? First of all, the people who claimed that she identified as white were wrong. She identified as both white and Latino, but they never gave her a chance to make that statement. And after the controversy grew, she wrote, I was worried as a non-immigrant and a non-Mexican that I had no business writing a book set entirely in Mexico, set entirely among immigrants, and I wish someone slightly browner than me would write it. And she now says she did clumsy wording. But as I talk to people, no one says, well, this was clumsy and that was clumsy. But she felt she had to defend herself. And I almost wish she said, this is a story. It came from my heart. It came so people could learn. Read it and learn. Or read it and argue, but read it. And I think that's a powerful motivation, I think, for any author, is that there is a story within oneself, and to bring this story into fruition. And so that my impression of the book is that it wasn't just a teaching book. You know, she didn't say, I've got a point I want to get across, and so I'm going to create characters to go along with that. I, it feels like these characters in this story are genuine. They're genuine human beings, and we're taken into their world I wouldn't identify the word clumsy with this writing at all. I'd say she yanks us into this world. I mean, I think and that's a very mild way of putting it, that we're kind of wrenched out of our own existence and taken on a journey along with this family. And that's how we can say a mother and son. And the people she gathers around them as they are propelled on this journey of survival. And so for the, me, the lesson comes secondary to the encounter with human beings and their lives. I just had a thought, Susan, I took me back to the idea of Harriet Beecher Stowe is who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. And she writes this story in the 19th century about the lives of African Americans as black people and in the U.S. slave people and their lives. And there's a tremendous controversy around that book ever since it was written. And in our own time, you know, the sense of how could a white woman as an abolitionist, though, in writing this to draw awareness and consciousness around the lives of enslaved peoples. Does that inspire any thoughts for you? Oh, absolutely, Michael, because here's what I strongly believe, that an author who has a story within her has a right to tell it, be it fiction or nonfiction. And Jeannie Cummings had this story and I think she had a right to tell it. I know that there were some things that if we wrote about a population that we weren't a part of, that we would not know, but the core of the story would still be there and the learning opportunities should still be there. And I don't think we should dismiss a white woman either writing about abolition or writing about the migrant experience I do not think we should diminish what they have to say. And so we, in our series so far, we have looked at the lives of African Americans, folks in the U.S., and the situation as it is now and historically. And so we've shifted into another world in the whole greater conversation of race and looking about at Mexican Americans and Central Americans and the movement of people. Susan, what's your impression about where this book fits in the greater conversations going on in the U.S. right now 
about issues of race. How does this book fit that? Well, first of all, I want to go back to something you said about us being a border state. I think this book is particularly significant because Arizona deals with these issues. Our mission trips go to the border where they support those people trying to enter. And this brings a particular family to life. The crossing of the border, the significance of the border, the feeling of how a migrant coming from Mexico or walking from Guatemala or wherever they may begin, their trials and tribulations, they are not white, they are not black, they are brown. And the issues they have are deep. And I think that the Mexican-Americans relate to this. I think Arizonans relate to this. And I do not think that we can exclude a particular group in our conversation. And I think this book does a really great job of highlighting the flashpoint issues for everybody. When somebody says, we think that these migrants are, they're all just criminals. Oh, yeah. And the book highlights for us how there are criminal elements in this whole story. And then other people on the other extreme says, these are innocent people seeking to survive, and we should be reaching out to create a refuge for the oppressed. And you hear that in the story. And it's a very complex story. So how did you, in, in encountering this book, what were the complexities that you identified and felt as you read through this story? Well, the author starts literally with a bang. Sixteen members of the main character Lydia's family were killed. And she had to run. And you open it up and you read it and you go, oh my goodness. So here's a cartel issue placed right in front of us. And then the main character Lydia had a bookstore. She was a professional. Her husband was a journalist. And we learn that her husband's article on the head of the cartel started this whole chain of events. So first we have the cartel. Then we have a professional woman who never thought she'd run becoming a migrant. And she reflects Oh my goodness, I never thought I would be one of those people that I looked at. So that is the second moment where it could happen to anyone that no one plans to become a migrant, but circumstances surrounding one's life, sometimes you have no control of. And then all of the trusting things that she had to do along her journey. She had to trust a doctor and a priest and a missionary and even a coyote. Could we trust those people? And then we go back to the cartel. Can you ever get away from them? She counted the minutes. She counted the days. She counted the miles. And along the way, I hope that those days and those miles made her safe. And as you read the book, you will learn that sometimes things you think are make you safe do not. Mm. And then the bravery. 
the brave, brave thing she had to do to protect her son. I don't know if I could jump off a train, but if it were to protect our sons, maybe I would be as brave as her, and I would throw my son off a bridge onto a moving train and hope I could jump behind him. So, so many things happened during this book that made us aware of those issues, even stopping at the border and looking at the flag. And one of the characters, Beto, looked at the Mexican flag and it was tattered and the American flag and it was clean. And the differences they showed between America and Mexico. We can't help it as reading as Americans, thinking about how different our lives are. But there's more than just acknowledging the differences. Where in the book did you say we're not different? Well, the fact that this particular character was so much like any of us, a professional, a bookstore manager. She loved books, and I loved books. I read and read. She reads and reads. I think when she set up the background and the character, it made those of us in the United States be able to relate to a professional who was in a circumstance so far beyond her control not that we could understand what's happening, but we could have empathy in what happened. Mm. The things that Lydia, our main character, would do to do anything to survive and to protect her young son, right? But are there um, boundaries on that, Susan, that you recognized in this story? Where does she come to the point where she says, I will lose my humanity if I do this? You know, I didn't ponder that, Michael, like you did. I know that she kept grappling. One of the moments was when she was stealing her mother's money. That's her thoughts. It's not mine. I shouldn't take it. I shouldn't go to this ATM. And how she talked the bank into giving her the money and the banker broke the law. Mm. And I thought, my goodness, would I go into a bank and demand money with no ID, not being a co-signer, so many things she did not know. And yet she demanded that someone in front of her break the law to save her. When, and part of that, too, that story is she had to make that choice whether to go into this bank. She knew she couldn't withdraw the money from the ATM. You know, her mother is killed in that opening scene. Right. So the money is there. But she goes in and she decides... She's going to say right out exactly to this banker she's encountered. She's going to tell her the whole story. And so instead of trying to lie or to make up or fabricate anything, she says, my only chance in this moment is to be truthful and genuine. And that's what makes all the difference. It's fascinating the relationship between mother and son because there are other moments, though, when the son and his kind of open-hearted compassion, he's like her conscience, you know, and that naivete or that innocence that he has even after all this has happened is that he has to remind her several times, mummy, do the right thing. These people helped us help them now. I think I can identify with that sense of that she's trying to survive and yet she's called back to act out of conscience and compassion, even when it can, might threaten her own existence. I think that as people of faith, you know, here our podcast is you know, from the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life, and I think there's a lot in this book that says, who are we as people of faith in a time 
when we're called, sometimes survival seems like the most important thing that we could do. And a book like this says, especially in the terms of race and all the conflicts in our society, sometimes we will have to do the right thing, the compassionate thing, that will really challenge us and maybe even challenge our sense of what is right and wrong. Speaking of faith, you know, were there moments in here where you recognized for your own sense of faith, faith erupts into the fabric of the story? Where does faith jump out at you? There were two moments, Michael. The first was when they were walking and she met a priest, but she didn't know if she could trust and know. And the priest says, how do I prove myself to you? And he quoted the Bible first to her. And she quoted a similar one back. And they had this conversation where they grew together because of their understanding of the Bible and God. And at that moment, she thought, I should be able to trust. And it was a good choice. And it was very much based on faith. The other moment that faith stood out to me was when they were hiding with missionaries. And the missionaries had uh, kiddos from Indiana that they were giving the experience of how to help people in Mexico. And the main character, Lydia, said, let me go with you. Let me hide in your vans. And the wife of the missionary said, no, no, you put these children at risk. I cannot do that. And she said, this is my only way. And the gentleman who was the missionary said, we need to do this. This is the only way we could escape. And they ended up letting Lydia and her son Luca go into the van. And they hid Luca. She hid Luca underneath the back seat. And when the border patrol stopped the van, they said, well, who's that? And they defended her, and they protected her, and they didn't let anyone know her son was under. And they made it through. And the missionaries had the faith to do this, and she had the faith to trust it. And those two were the powerful moments to me. It is amazing when you think, we don't, you know, I didn't know anything about this book before I started uh, listening to it, and I was really taken into it. But seeing, you know, because my ears are tuned to seeing where does faith step in the scene and erupt on that, even in the midst of the most dire situations, when you say these aren't just political issues or human rights issues or social issues, all the things that we could bring as of the isms of the world, we could bring into the story. But there is a sense of faith that weaves its way through this. And sometimes it means it's just having faith in the goodness of humanity. What I appreciate so much about it is that the characters are complex. The one that you would think would be the most evil character in the story, you know, the head of the cartel, is portrayed quite humanely. And the complexity of his choices. Where did you see those moments where genuine humanity, like, was there something that stood out for you as a sense of this took faith for her to do? Simply the willingness to run. The willingness to change from a person who is established in society to run. To me, that whole decision took a huge amount of faith. She was going to do anything to protect her son. Anything. And I think her belief 
that she could trust came second. That wasn't easy for her. She didn't want to trust anyone. When she ran first and she checked into the hotel, and all of a sudden she realized they knew where she was. She also had to trust her instincts. I mean, she could have stayed in that hotel room and they would have never survived. It's like the book was about trust. The book was about believing. And two very real in those situations, there are characters that don't make it to the end of the book. I mean, oh. everybody survived, you know, then we wouldn't feel what the author was trying to convey in this story, you know. So we get attached to characters and characters don't make it. And, um, oh, I'll just say briefly, my own experience is the place at which they're able to cross the border is a place where the border moved from the U.S. to Mexico. And what I know about that situation is that my most favorite place in the whole planet, really, is this mountain that borders between Arizona and Mexico. You drive and then climb a little ways to this one place where you can look out all of northern Mexico. And then you can look back the other way and go, wait, it looks just like Arizona. And I guess that'll get us back to the idea of American dirt and its title. And it's a sense of what makes the difference between Mexican dirt and American dirt. When I say it's my most favorite place in the world, there's just intense beauty of the desert there. The desert is also dangerous for these people, but the only thing that makes the difference between Mexican dirt and American dirt is a line created because of a war and then a purchase. What was so significant, do you think, without revealing too much, Susan, why this title American Dirt and what does it mean to the characters and how is it different from Mexican dirt? Well, there is only one moment where the word America is in the book, where one of the characters is not sure they're going to make it. And they have their moment where they leave a part of them on American soil. The flag and the cleanness and the brightness of the flag, the streets that were paved with gold, the sun thought existed. And the moment where they actually crossed the border, should we have borders, our borders for our protection, our borders... And that's a whole issue that we did not discuss, but that is an interesting issue. But the moment the two main characters crossed the border, the mother didn't even know. It was not, aha, there's a big line, we've got to cross it, we've made it. And the son who went, what? This is dirt, this is bumpy, these roads are not good. I am going into America, and it's all dirt. This is not supposed to be what this looks like. We're fascinating moments where it challenges us to think about borders and asylum. Yeah, definitely. I began our conversation saying this book is about the movement of people, and that is this overarching story of humanity People are going to be moving. Migrations of people are happening all the time, all around the globe. People are seeking to survive. That's the story of humanity, is to prosper and to survive. And so, Susan, as we move closing up our conversation today, what makes the difference in our time? You know, with all the complex political situations of borders and national identity, and what do you take from this story that says, this helps me to make a difference in the world today? 
Well, there is a lot of humanity in the book. I think we need to be those people who care, those people who see people struggling and are a resource for them. I think we also need to support our mission. And we've gone to some spots that help migrants. And I think we have to help. Mm -hmm. And Susan's referring to is our congregation here at Pinnacle Presbyterian Church, which houses the Fran Park Center, has a sense of helping to encounter, learn the stories, especially with refugees that are really entering into a legal process. How do we treat them humanely, hear their stories, and how does the church embrace these people to say, you are part of our human family and saying a family of faith. We want to seek, to encounter, to learn, to know, and to serve. Thank you, Susan. I know that people, those who have not read this book, will find from our conversation today that, you know, from your insights as well, a real inroad into the world of American dirt. Uh, Thank you. Any last words, Susan? I hope that you pick up this book, and I hope it makes the difference to you that it did to us. Thank you very much. Join us again next month. We'll be looking at a book about Ida B. Wells, and this is about 100 years ago in time, looking at the suffragist movement here in America, women's suffragism, and uh, how African Americans fit into that story as well. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. Check out our website at www.franparkcenter.org for more information about programming, podcasts, webinars, and upcoming events.